I uh, arranged all my comics on my bookshelf today, Roman. Took a shelfie and put it up on Reddit. You're on Reddit? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Are you not? <laughs> no. Mm. I only see Reddit when Jeff shares something from Reddit. Yeah, my username is, it's a little tight in the crotch. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's not. <laughs> I feel like I have to tell you when I'm kidding now. <laughs> you only have... Welcome to a perfectly acceptable podcast, episode two hundred and twelve. I bet Jenga, where are we hanging out this week? Yeah, uh, for this podcast, yeah. Like, you're, are you asking me what area code two twelve is? is? Yeah. Well, Jeff, if yeah. you had half a brain, area codes as long as I have been, yeah, yeah, you yeah, yeah. No, you would Modesto. know. New York City, really? Get a rope. Wow, two twelve is New York City. Yeah, man, have you ever a... been from the two one two? No, no, that's my point. I haven't, Django. I don't know about. I don't know about these things like you know about these things. It's a perfectly accessible podcast. You get it. You guessed it. That's what's happening now. We're having fun. We talk about comic books. It's comic books. It's a podcast. We do that. You get to listen to us talk about comics. We read a whole bunch of them, different kinds, and hopefully us reading them allows you to feel a little bit more informed if you didn't get to read them. Hopefully it helps you choose which books you want to acquire if you're on a fixed budget, or hopefully we're just entertaining because that's a good thing. Roman's wearing a kimono and both of his arms were up behind his head like he was really satisfied and stretching. I think you're the only one of us wearing pants tonight, Jeff. This is one of those moments on a podcast where if we also had a YouTube feed and we were trying to subtly advertise for it, we'd be like, if you guys don't know, but if, if you're watching us on our YouTube feed, <laughs> youtube.com slash perfectly accessible podcast, you'd see Roman stretching like he's post cum and he's wearing a kimono. Oh, oh God, he looks God. good. We would lose zero subscribers. We would only gain them. <laughs> we would gain a whole bunch of lonely 40 year olds <laughs> if it was always Roman doing that. Like we're going to talk about Stantler. a bunch of comics why do we feel like we should talk about them well we all work at and run a comic shop and we read a lot of them we do it because we love them and we also like talking about them also it's good as we become an adult to have things that facilitate friendships because it's hard to just have excuses to hang out so this is oh, a that's way what this is about now it's facilitating the fact that the three of us can be friends each one of us party to a different generation i'm jeff jen Malin jenin the young one. I'm Jango. I'm Roman Genesequa. Oh, I was trying to combine combine millennial and gen and gen, and I didn't have anything. Oh yeah, see, I thought you were doing the thing that Django made the joke on. What did he make a joke on? The dwarf in the red room in Twin Peaks. I didn't realize he was referencing that at all. That little guy. Hey, that backwards motherfucker. It um, says the new girl in town who was always touching her teeth walked by and Frankie felt the whiskers shoot out of his baby's butt smooth elbow. Oh my God. 
Oh gosh, Jeff Gangle <laughs> Roman here talking about good bits and bobs. And the bits and bobs we're going to talk about this week are very exciting. Good week of comics, if you ask Jeff. Batman, black and white, number two. Strange Adventures, number eight. I swear it's not just a DC podcast anymore. Sweet Downfall, number one from Scout Comics. Then we're going to do Future State. Sounds like it's a DC thing. Then we're going to talk about X-Men 17 briefly and The Eighth Immortal from Source Point Press. We're also going to talk about the secret history of the DC universe, and we are also going to talk about... Cool. You'll have to tell us what it is. The Book of Love. Last oh, week, we brought, up, we brought up King of in Black number three in the intros and then forgot to talk about it because we were running late, and I got texts today about uh, not, not following up on that. Oh, was that uh, number three? Yeah. I would just like to go on record as saying that we talked about it, but it was so blue that Jeff realized he needed to edit it out. <laughs> and if you've listened to this podcast for very long, you know that we said some fucked up stuff. We said some, if it was too blue for Jeff <clears throat> to put it through, it was fucked up. Also, we were shorted it. And I think we all had brought our copies back to fill subscriber counts by the time that we were recording the podcast. So it's hard to remember a book if you don't have it in front Doing of shit you. shit from memory is so hard. It is. Can we can we start this thing off? Are you guys ready to talk about Batman Black and White 2, which is one of the like in a world in a world in a where world. DC Comics releases anthologies like it's a weird rash that they can't stop from spreading <laughs> all over their weird comic book body. Oh, Get him it's, a black, white, it's black, white, and red then. Oh that's Roman's Wolverine joke. <laughs> we've got batman black and white wolverine black white and blood and then we've got carnage red white and black or red what is it we've got anyway we got a new carnage I one coming out like carnage josh this was good this was sure was. really good i had to i had to text a friend and say hey you didn't get this book this week i have to bring my copy that my cats scratched up to you today and i did yeah yeah and it's amazing because number one was not super good like number one was fine it just it, comes there was, down to the roulette of the creators right this isn't roulette dc's making decisions like they're choosing to put every creator i've ever wanted to see do a black and white batman story in one comic and nobody i've ever heard of in the other one in the first or the <laughs> third no for sure like on, on a customer review point it just feels like you know a roulette like who we're gonna get and last time there was really nobody i was interested in and from the preview of this one for the next one there's really only one i'm too interested in but this one i love i love everyone associated with every story in this book the least of which would be like gabriel hardman and karina becko and i like them a lot god yeah yeah uh, the just, one that the yeah. one that i wasn't super excited to read was dustin weaver yeah and we'll get to that yeah, and I'm sure we'll all have opinions on it because it was a bizarre one. So this has got bits by Tom King, Mitch Garretts, uh, Sophie Campbell, who's been doing the TMNT book that Roman and I have been loving, uh, Gabriel Hartman and Karina Becco, Dustin Weaver, and then David Aha with a pinup by Ramon Villalobos in the back. So holy shit. Does anybody, I mean, yeah, does anybody have favorites in here or should we just go one by one through it? Let's just go one by one. one, by one like, yeah. Okay, cool. What'd you guys think of Tom King and Mitch Garretts? Well, they fucking made me cry, Jeff. I was sitting on the toilet reading a comic and dabbing at my eyes. Ugh. Go fuck yourself. Okay, fine. I'll go fuck <laughs> myself. Roman, what did you think of Mitch Garrett's and Tom King? I loved it. I mean, this, yeah, it, it didn't make me cry because I'm a heartless, cold bastard. But this was a, it was such a great touching story and the art's pretty damn amazing. It's, it's basically like Batman 
goes into a building to save a priest, a burning building to save a priest who has been saving children from the building. And the priest has had the building collapse on him and Bruce can't save him. And he just kind of hangs out with the priest while the building burns around them and has a little conversation. And the thing that got me about it is that it reminded me a lot of the scene in Sometimes a Great Notion. And if you haven't seen Sometimes a Great Notion, spoiler alert, somebody dies by being pinned under a, a log underwater. And one of the characters is going down and giving him mouth to mouth, even though there is no, no help on the way. He can't do this forever. The guy is going to die, but he's bringing oxygen down to him because he's still mobile and the other guy's pinned underwater. And just the, there, there, there's something about that situation for me where somebody is absolutely going to die and they have to kind of give you the signal like, I'm, I'm going now. You should stop trying because this is, this is no good. It's, it's, I, I heard another story about a guy who got hit by a car and pinned up against a wall and like his legs had been cut off. And if they moved the car, his guts would fall out and he would die. But until they moved the car, he was going to be alive. Mm -hmm. And that just sounds like uh, a total fucking nightmare to me. And so and it, like being in any position, being the person who's talking to this person that is, that suddenly has to get okay with dying in the next 10 minutes or two hours or being that person who's in that situation. And uh, it, it, this one, I wasn't like weeping and shut sobbing. up. Don't, don't, don't take away but your I was, crying. All right. I Let yourself Jeff, weep. I was just like, like Let yourself weep. because yeah, no, Jeff weeps. <laughs> um, no, I mean like that, that the element of that story that a human being, regardless of your relationship with them, the act of life deserves every ounce of respect that it can get. Like in that mm -hmm. moment, it's like race, political, social boundaries, all of that like doesn't exist. Cause when someone's about to die, that, that moment of the story you're talking about from that movie of just like, yeah, as long as someone is alive or as they're dying, they deserve every ounce of work that you can give them to keep mm -hmm. them alive. Even if it's not going to work, even if it's clearly not going to work until they're gone, you do what you can for them. Yeah. And I love the decency of that idea. And that's what Batman yeah. does here. Well, but also like think about how much work the priest puts in to talking to Bruce and letting him know that it's okay and he didn't fail. Like that just just straight up kindness coming from the priest was was a big part of what resonated with me. Yeah, you don't see Batman and God together very often. No, I liked seeing like the respect that he had for a religious figure because I think yeah. other writers would maybe write him with contempt or like looking down at uh, those that buy into religion yeah and then we I, wasted a page with bios for those guys yeah it's interesting <laughs> that they included all the bios in here I, I mean i guess whatever go for it anyone listening um if we're going through this quickly or something this is one of the best single batman issues i've read in a long time to like just be packed with several batman stories that are all beautiful and all really uh they tell an aspect of Batman in a really, really well way. A well way. A well, a well way. way. Yeah. Speaking of well ways, Sophie Campbell did the next one. Roman, did you like the Sophie Campbell one? It's a silent issue. I, I did. And actually, I mean, I liked them all. Like you said, I mean, this is like the ultimate for a black and white anthology issue. This is what, you know, you kind of fantasize that every issue will be. Exactly. And yeah, this is the first story I read in this one. 
mainly because Sophie Campbell, but I was also in a hurry and there's no dialogue or text. So <laughs> that's the first one I read. And it was good in a completely different way than that Tom King one. It, it's it's sweet and amusing and the two cat, the black cat and the white cat in it are characters in it too. And it was just really well done. You know, the art when Catwoman, she uh, gets an all white costume. She has the idea to get a, make an all white costume for the snow. And the way she draws, it's just great how she blends into the background, the snow background, like the Cheshire cat. And you only see like her ears, her eyes and her lips and her claws. Yeah. <laughs> and well I, done. I loved that. It was, yeah, it was, uh, well, well, well good. What did I say? Um, <laughs> but it was, yeah, I, I loved, I loved the amount of storytelling that was going on between the cats in this. Like we have Batman chasing Catwoman, but there's a black cat and a white cat with him the whole time. And their interaction is more interact interesting than Batman and Catwoman's because like when Batman can't find her, the cats know where each other are. Mm -hmm. So I just love this bit that like Catwoman infers that she needs to change her costume to fit in with this snow uh, as being informed by the cats. And I, Everyone knows I'm an animal person, but I'm particularly a cat person. Um, for me, what I really liked about it was how much it reminded me of The Gray Lady and the Strawberry Snatcher, which was a book my mom used to read to me. I think I sent you some screenshots, Jeff. Yeah, you did recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just a story about this purple, weird dude trying to steal strawberries from this old lady. And she's all like solid gray with eyes and, and kind of facial features. And at some point they go through a gray swamp and she disappears into the mist and all you can see is her eyes and maybe like her, her jacket and her basket, but everything else is blended into the background. The other thing about that, this particular story is that they really don't use any gray. Yeah. All the rest of the, the stories in here, and I think in the previous issue, use an amount of gray kind of with the exception of aja aha but yeah we'll but that's all talk flat. about that when we get to it yeah for but sure yeah the, the sophie campbell one is just straight black and straight white no the gabe harman and karina becko one i think was my least <clears throat> favorite really yeah yeah. That, yeah that was my least favorite too i mean the art is the art is great but and i love the setup for it yeah and i like i don't think that gabriel hardman usually uses halftones in i don't way. i don't think so either like it looked a little bit Dan Panosian to me. Yeah. At first, I, I thought it was a Panosian on art. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't love the end just because I didn't. I don't know. I, uh, it, it's good, but I would have. I, I got my interest got peaked when this idea of Batman and Joker needing to work together to get out of here, and the mm -hmm. Joker was just like, "No, I don't like this Freudian take on our relationship," and I I kind of like the Freudian. I don't know. I, I like that. There's. I don't know. I don't know. I really um, like that we saw a different Joker who's like, oh. "No, fuck you. I want to watch you die." Yeah, yeah, I like that too. And actually, I misspoke. It's the ending of the Dustin, Dustin Weaver Weavers. story that I didn't care for. That's this what I want to talk better. Yeah, cool. I want to talk to you guys about the Weaver ending for sure. <laughs> but this Dustin Weaver one, I love Dustin Weaver's art. I think he's probably a little bit polarizing. Um, there's almost little bits of Neil Adams in the end of this, like yeah, like the Which shots cool. of him staring. Yeah, it is cool. But it's Batman chasing this white version of Batman. And he shoots it down. It seems to be like mirroring himself. And then he boards the ship, which looks like some crazy futuristic bat ship. And it looks like a future version of the bat cave is in it. And then the guy says, welcome home, my son. And then it's finished. Like, I I hope somebody grabbed a metaphor out of that. Because I did I want six issues of it. Yeah. Uh, I, like, well, I fucking loved it. It didn't make any goddamn sense. Okay. I, yeah, I don't know. 
and I'm assuming and it's like okay so that's Thomas Wayne I love <laughs> I love the idea that it was like or it's from the future um or a parallel reality and it's like there's this hovering mothership Batman where it's a cave in a ship it's like I love the it. cave has an Illuminati symbol yeah on the coin yeah. but it's still got a you know it's it seemed like an other world thing, but I wanted answers. I wanted to know, I wanted to explore it. I wanted to know where they came from or what this white Batman was who was drawn really well. Um, yeah, and it just yeah. didn't get enough resolution from it. And he's experimenting on bats. and Yeah, I, I went into this not really caring about the first couple pages because it seemed super 90s out. A few pages in, I was like, well, he's doing some really interesting stuff with perspective. It looks a little, little Neil Adams, a little bit... Um, Norm Brayfogle, like mm -hmm. if Norm Brayfogle didn't draw such weirdo stuff when he did Batman, mm. but I then the end, I was like, "Whoa, this is bizarre." I liked it, but I definitely wanted to explore it more. I hope that they do. It yeah. felt to me like something that could have been a three-issue story arc in Legends of the Dark Knight. Yep, like this. This is a really good pre, like like a teaser for a Dark Legends of the Dark Knight story. Yeah. So for a book that had like several stories that i've talked about as like being a contention for my favorite in here amazing creators this this david aja one at the end is i think <laughs> my favorite and i love the execution of it and it it got me excited do you guys want to roman do you want to tell us what the framing device for this this little chapter is yeah the frame <clears throat> the framing device is that uh it's told in in the style of a um, 1940s batman comic strip um all in black and white we get the daily the daily strip um usually two days on each page horizontal yeah, yeah 1949 and it's just it's it's classic comic strip noir and they skip sundays and like dick yeah. tracy looking <laughs> so every it's every horizontal page is divided into two long horizontal call or you know rows and it's for each day and each one has you know the title of the strip and the date of the day on it and what I loved was I didn't, you know, obviously I was born just a little after this 49. Um, I loved that inherent within this type of comic storytelling, the early stuff, the daily strips, we talk about comics these days, every single issue needs to kind of be a beginning, middle and end. Like you kind of need to be able to drop in and have it be your first issue. So too did these things go, but it was on a day to day basis of just these With like little four panels. If you're yeah. lucky. And I just loved kind of framing my head of like, what if this day's horizontal strip was the first one I had read and what it like each one, it's almost kind of like a, a haiku or a Zen mm -hmm. thing of like each one of these is a portion of a thing, but also stands on its own. There's a scene in the back cave where he uses Zipatone in a really interesting way to show kind of the reflections on the jar. Um, oh, yeah. And I thought that that was, that was a really cool bit of, kind of art skills yeah, yeah. Um, and and in the other chamber in the background there chamber of the cave you cut out things to just kind of indicate that there's more equipment back there with lights on it but you mm -hmm. don't you can't really tell what it is i would be really curious to see how he did this like did he do this using zipatone like did, did he go back to 1940s techniques or did or he do it digitally was this done digitally because it doesn't look digital to me and a lot of the texture and like the it's even printed in a way that that shows you like shitty ink peeling up from the paper like it looks yeah. like scans from right. something that's 80 years old it's 
if you've been interested in what we've been talking about with Zipatone and what it is and how to use it or whatever uh, over the last couple of years, uh, this Batman Black and White issue number two, I think is like that final story in it by Aja is, is a, a really interesting look at it. And I think it kind of makes the process self-evident to the, the person reading it. So I think that was my, I think that was my favorite in there. And it also seemed like the most laborious to get through, not in a negative mm-hmm. way, but like it, it should it should have been the quickest but it wasn't in some way those newspaper strips were probably really fun to read on a on a monday morning when you're eating your cream right. of wheat or whatever but when you get to reading them all in one sitting like even if you get like the old prince valiant books or old spider-man books of the the collection of the news, newspapers they are not fun to get through mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of like repeating and reminding you what you read one panel ago and right. like it's it's a very different storytelling style yeah yeah unless you can somehow like with the prince value stuff force yourself to i don't know read it like one a day but mm-hmm. you know when you got the book in front of you how can you you know who can who can make themselves do that not um, you but yeah, yeah it's and i love the way this story ended with um since of course we can't go on and Aja tell us this whole storyline or but how it ends with the last panel of Batman saying I had arrived at a dead end and that's the dead end of our glimpse into this story <laughs> and it was a dead yeah it was a, a little punny as well yeah good yeah good stuff I've just an amazing issue of comics folks if you didn't pick this one up and you have any passing interest in either Batman or just really interesting comic book art uh it's you know we have a couple left on the stands and i i bet for a, a little while there'll be some more that we can order as well so I, I really if you're interested in this you should you know try and find it at your local comic store or get a hold of us um because it's a it's a really it's a class act of what these anthology black and white art specific stories can do i would give it a nine and i would say that my favorite is either the first or the last. I can't. I can't nail it down either, any more than that. Either the Tom King, Mitch Garretts, or the David Aha. I'm gonna go nine point five, and I'm gonna say Aha, and then Tom King, Mitch Garretts. Roman gives it a two, and he liked the Dustin Weaver. The he most. loves that Dustin <laughs> Weaver only to a two, though. Give me some more of that '90s sharp, sharp forehead, angled brow, <laughs> Batman. I'm gonna give it a bat gooey. You dirty sour <laughs> fisher man. Bat. Good lord, you think you can? Oh my god, there's a battering in my pseudopod. <laughs> Gooey bat, yep, yep. And my favorite story, oh man, it's it is really tough to choose between the aha. It's and the, such a drippy, gooey bat. And the first one, the Tom King, it's ectoplasm. Uh, there's ectoplasm. I'm gonna all go over Tom King as my first, okay, my, my favorite one. Django, you look bummed. Do you want to transition us into Strange Adventures number eight? Sure, I was, I was just trying to make a a gooey Do the Batman song as if I was a gooey duck. A gooey bat. Gooey bat. Uh, Strange Adventures number eight. Tom King, Mitch Garretts. Those guys sound familiar. And Evan Shaner. Um, this issue, Jesus. This issue just keeps on doing the Strange <laughs> Adventures thing. Jumping between Ran and Earth. We've got a full-on invasion from uh, the Picts on earth at this point and all the heroes are, are trying to fight them so that's kind of giving us what adam strange has been saying was about to happen and they they just kind of blink out of existence uh phoenix arizona which is crazy like they they destroy phoenix flash counts the dead and it's a lot 
and then that the double page spread was jaw dropping. Yeah. Like we just yeah. lots of like jumping between things, and then several pages, and we get this double page spread, and it's them arriving in Arizona, and in classic Tom King fashion, kind of like Mister Miracle, the chronology of it, exactly where we are in time at any given moment, kind of jumps. Like mm-hmm. you know, like oh, I guess we're there's a war going on in Apocalypse. Uh, this like we're into this war with the picks and they've arrived at earth and they have fucked earth up yeah yeah and then the other thing that, that's happening at the, at the same time we've we're getting flashbacks to adam strange on ran and he's come back from his ordeals and his daughter's still there and still alive so we still haven't gotten to the point where they lose her or where think, she dies or like whatever it is. We don't know right. what it is yet. I feel like this one is like he kind of just got back from the previous issue where he had been like ta- trapped in that kind of torturous reliving mm-hmm. thing. And he's he's clearly kind of warped by it because he's being pretty raw. Yeah. Robin, what do you what do you what's your read on this? Um <clears throat> I'm trying to remember because I I don't I don't have a copy in front of me. Oh, um, we were we were shorted a couple. Yeah, uh, it was good. I, I I don't I feel like it didn't really do a whole lot to I don't know to advance the story. I mean, it wasn't bad in any way. But I just felt like it was like okay, so we're still going along this journey. Um, I do remember there was a full page a full page shot of uh, Adam and his daughter Aaliyah is that her name mm-hmm. yeah yeah those two walking toward toward a sunset maybe it's just a gorgeous page well I think um, what's happening in that is that they are getting ready to catch one of the uh, Zeta beams and go to earth together oh really yeah. so she might die on earth oh wow okay super that, cool I didn't actually yeah, could pick be, up on that at all because Alana warns them or says to their daughter you know if if a Zeta beam comes and takes Adam away you know tell me you'll do blah 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 to survive yep i was totally wrong i read that completely wrong they're going for a walk and her mom says if the zeta beam takes your dad away make call, sure you use your comm to call back home yeah. yeah yeah okay yeah. sorry i was god damn it i was really excited for her to die on earth um it's <laughs> well, maybe, on the maybe. two pages before that jenga or three five pages anyway we see her daughter their daughter and she is drawn like a gosh dang terry moore character does that not look like terry moore art to everybody holy god Um, like the faces yeah so i think the big things to pull from this one are that like the pigs have invaded earth and they're brutal and they're fucking up earth like adam strange had said but the big thing is that the picks based on ranian history since mr terrific has absorbed that he knows that the picks are historically peaceful, but based on the interaction with Adam Strange, they've become this murderous, horrible race. And then the pick says that, like, no, we were peaceful. And then Adam Strange came and led a war. And I almost feel like I, I started to get really strong Ender's Game vibes from this. I've either, either you guys read Ender's Game? I saw the movie. Book's really good. Um, movie is good. Did it have too. Harrison Ford in it? No, I don't remember the book having Harrison Ford, but he could have. But anyway, this idea that um this kid is basically tricked into thinking he's fighting you playing a video game ah spoilers for ender's game thinking he's playing a video <laughs> game it turns out this video game he's been playing is not the video game it's real life and he's been 
controlling ships from a distance to go and wipe out the entire home planet of this race that the earth is threatened by. Mm-hmm. And he got kind of tricked into doing that. And this was making me feel like Adam strange. Like there's maybe some picks that were aggressive towards ran, but he went and it just wiped out the entire planet to deal with the problem. Mm-hmm. I, that, that maybe is me making up some stuff right now but i think that's an interesting conversation of just like is he a war criminal if in defense he did the ultimate thing which was to go and blow up the entire planet which would have had innocence on it and like in that sense is it's he like a war escalation criminal? right yeah yeah is 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 it okay to escalate an argument into a battle into a war into genocide yeah i the feeling that i got when i got you know i was as you read a couple pages here and like things are weird and there's a cool interaction between Adam Strange and Batman and them defending Arizona, Adam Strange and Flat, or sorry, Adam Strange and then Batman and Flat. Anyway, you, then you get to this double page spread and you're kind of floored by the destruction of Arizona. Mm-hmm. The feeling that I got when we got to that double page spread was I, I, I have to read more and just sort of based on the high of that moment, like, I have to give this book a 9.5. Like I'm, I, I do agree. Not, not that you conclusively said this Roman, but like it didn't necessarily definitively move things forward, but the bits that it's doling out in the sort of hair braid of narrative of these separate threads weaving together to one, one issue, everything will click and then everything will be redefined. I can feel that coming. Um, I, I just adore this. There's almost something about, the way that Tom King writes where you don't realize that he's advanced the story at all. Yeah. It's happened, but he, he doesn't really belabor it and he doesn't really, he doesn't telegraph it and he doesn't tell you that he did it. It just kind of happens. And it's part of this natural progression of what you're reading. And um, I'm really excited to read um, Mr. Miracle for our book club next week, because I'm, I'm curious to see, just to kind of look at the structure as something I'm reading in one sitting rather than something I'm reading over the course of 12 months. Um, yeah. 9.5 for me. I just, I absolutely adore this book. And I think what they're doing with the dual art streams is really impressive. Nine for me. Everything you said. Yeah. Yeah. Except that yeah. one thing. <laughs> I, I'm with you, man. I regret saying it. <laughs> Good thing we edited it out. <laughs> we, you edited that out, buddy. Yeah, it was all you, buddy. <laughs> now, Roman, I'm sorry that you didn't get to get a copy of this. We got um, we got really I, few numbers of it. Yeah, I read one. I saw oh, one with me. Sorry, I was actually yeah. moving on to Sweet Downfall. Um, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, which I do know that you didn't read because you did say you didn't Zing! read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that book was my Sweet Downfall. It was. No, you're a titan <laughs> of industry. You Nothing is your downfall. Uh, this is Scout Comics. It is, gosh, this is... Story and art by Stefano Cardoselli. Colors by Pontarea. Letters by Brom Meehan. Django, you don't normally say like, "I really want to take that comic home." Like, you don't usually like. You know, we own a comic I, I shop. We get to yeah. we get to take the comics home we want, and we don't feel super guilty if it's one we super want. But this one, you clearly were like, there was something attracting you in a way that is uh, unusual for our standard Tuesday fair to unpack on my chest. The, the art in this book is like Jeff Darrow, violent Keith Giffen's heckler confusing. (laughs) 
like this 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 is the perfect mix of some of my favorite kind of opposing art styles super detailed and also super abstract almost at the same time plus it's got it's got this picture of a dude whose face has been shot off and all he's got left is a, is an eyeball and teeth and then the outside of his head uh, and then the, the very next page um, you see the guy holding a gun from the other angle and that's that's like a straight up that's actually almost exactly the same as the cover of hard-boiled number one I think it is um, so it's just it's just got this kind of grisly violence and super cartoony weirdness like it, it reminded me of uh, Lobo's paramilitary Christmas special it reminded me of my buddy who was doing a comic book like a, a crime noir detective comic book in high school called Dick Faze. Um, and just like everything about this appealed to me. And I don't think that it would appeal to most people. What, what did you think of it? I loved it. Well, I, I loved the art. Django, I just sent you a link to an artist. Uh, it reminded me very heavily of the book Pycnoleptic Inertia by Stathis Sembrolitis. Um, Ashton's right at his dad's into it. Django, I think you'd recognize his art. Everything has like weird sores and it's all dirty. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, that's just a link to the book. If you can, everyone should Google Pycnoleptic Inertia. Um, this guy hasn't done a ton of work. He is amazing. We do carry it. So people should reach out to it. It's I Every time we've gotten his stuff in, I buy it because it's so unique. Um, I've never seen anybody that looks like his art. And this one is like right in. Everything is dirty and gross. Even machines have weird rust pustules. There's a bad guy who's got a giant sore on his face. Even robots are like, the story is fine. I don't know what we really got out. There's like a robot who has what used to be a crash test dummy who's been reprogrammed to now like there's a bad guy and this guy's hunting down the bad guy. It's like a kind of a future dystopian. Jenga, did you get a lot more out of the story than that? Uh, irrelevant. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so me. Okay, like cool. the, the story's fine. It, it wasn't. It wasn't bad, but the the real the real star here is the art. Cool. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at as well. And and if yeah. you are somebody who thinks that art alone is a reason to get a comic, if you love art or love seeing what other people are doing, Jeff Darrow exactly like Django said. There's so much of that in here, and then there's just this dirty fungus. Uh, that Stathis Sembrolitis guy did an issue of uh, Zero with Alish Cott. Okay. Um, it's 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 yeah it's festering it's, it's, and pustule and gross and amazing it's like if if mobius had time to draw the grossness on everything almost yeah yeah no i mean what what you said even the uh keith giffen statement you made i didn't think about that at all until you said it but like that the weird kind of like 90s double lining thing he was doing yeah like like everything is made up of too many lines and you empathize with the colorist yeah and it's dirty and gross and if anything that we're saying just sounded interesting to you you should <laughs> check this out because it's unlike anything um and if you're a burgeoning artist or you just like seeing what people are doing that is totally outside the norm this is a this is a good one for that like the story is just it's kind of fine but it, what, you know what i like Django is almost like the naivete of the art like the art is so gross and proficient but then you also get these pages like this big one where there's like a car going across the top and uh -huh. it's, it's the expands the entire width of the page so it looks like the page like that's a panel break but it's not like it, it commits these like 
kind of basic comic booking fundamentals that like a professional artist would be like, well, you can't do that because it's confusing. But then also, if you obeyed those rules, you would have never gotten Nirvana's, you know, bleach because if you're adhering to these rules, then you're not breaking them and doing new things. And, and, and you is... never, like Jack Kirby never would have violated a panel border. Yeah. Yeah. Like or Will Eisner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is, this has the feeling of like Nirvana's bleach to me because I've been listening to a lot of Nirvana lately. Uh, so it's, it's gross and cool and you should check it out because it's super lo-fi. Sounds it's, grungy. It does. It sounds, it looks grungy. And Scout Comics, Django, talk about Scout for a second. Those, those guys have just been impressing me. Um, I think they, they did uh, Smoke Town was the first thing that I really noticed them as an independent publisher that I was excited about. And uh, it was, it was and is awesome. Um, I, I like everything they do. They offered us a crazy cardboard display at the, at the last Comics Pro that um, we just couldn't quite figure out how to fit in the store. Um, I think they're even maybe starting to offer things outside of Diamond. They're 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 experimenting with a lot of stuff. And, they're like and uh, they, Hunter they're Thompson cool. for comics. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're, they're like comic bookers. Yeah, it's they're they're rad and um, yeah. During the pandemic specifically, they've had an output that is really impressive. The artists and the writers they've been putting on is uh, pretty cool. Django, what do you give that one? I give it an eight and a half. Like I and and just scout in general. Like anytime a scout book looks like it might be interesting to me, it gets two big thumbs up. I and my holdup with Scout for a while was that they had not been finding really interesting artists. And they mm -hmm. have now, I think sort of with Smoketown, really been finding yeah. interesting artists. I think eight point five is right on point, but I would say it is an art that eight point five is solely on the art. Um, and the story is take it or leave it. Yeah, I mean the the story is an excuse for the art. Exactly, exactly. Nothing wrong and, with and, it. And you could say the same thing about Hard Boiled. Like who who yep. cares what the story is in Hard Boiled? Except for written Frank by Miller's Frank name. Miller, yeah. um, and and lauded as being one of the one of, one of like a, a turning point in comics. But it was written so that the artist could draw that crazy shit. And, and like books this doesn't suffer from the, the fallback that some books where the art is, the story is just the excuse for the art, the art, um, sorry, the story is not laborious to get through. It mm -hmm. is, it is smooth and quick. And, you know, I'll be the first one to talk about when a, a book is shitty to get through because of the, it's just the writing. The it's future state time, boys. Oh yeah. Oh, We're in the future. future state. We're in the future, man. You guys, I'm starting to get a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm like, I read some number twos. Future state, dark detective. This week, we're we're still just trying to cover the number ones. Um, Roman just got a chill, which means that future did. Jeff is dancing on his grave because yep, for his dancing well, on my grave. Well, let's let's get into the future state here, Roman. Which one are we doing first? We're gonna do Aquaman first because you said oh, okay. I didn't read Aquaman, and you said it was gorgeous, and now I'm like, what? um it is it's let me find the credits page here it's uh brandon thomas is the writer daniel sampier is the hmm. artist um and, Pretty. and looks like adriano lucas is the colorist and yeah it's it's a bright beautiful book kind of like we were talking um last week with uh wonder the um wonder woman book immortal wonder mm -hmm. woman but this one is um Whereas those colors were just more kind of a pastel, more kind of an abstract. This 
is really deep and it's still realistic um but all the underwater scenes it's just gorgeous these deep rich blues and the the shadows um story-wise it's the return of uh the aqualad or aquaman i guess um jackson hyde who's based on the aqualad that was created for the young justice cartoon um who's kind of a cult figure character because of that young justice run okay um and then jeff johns brought him in introduced him a version of him into the comics in uh brightest day one of those issues um and i forget his exact origin but he's a pretty cool aquaman i mean he's the one with the the tattoos the mystical tattoos or whatever they are that light up when he uses his powers and he's able to i don't know if it's hard water constructs or whatever that he's able to create using that and that's the, the symbol of him using his power that seems a little bit like the um movie aquaman with all the tattoos yeah yeah i think they based that on this character and this character is the son of black manta um okay so that's his rough origin and this story is just about him and it looks like um the he's a prisoner but he's Fast, flashing back to six years ago when he's kind of training, mentoring the daughter of Arthur Curry, Aquaman, and Queen Mara. Um, and it looks like she's got powers too that she has, isn't able to control yet. And they get in trouble with the magistrate. No, no, it's not the magistrate. <laughs> um, but it's somebody else and I forget who it was. But. Aqua straight. Yeah, and I forgot that detail just because the art is so beautiful. The underwater scenes, they end up traveling through all these worlds by accident through their marine life of those worlds. And there's a shot of this enormous Leviathan type creature at one point that's pursuing them and jumps out of the water and the sun is behind it and yet underneath it because it's jumping so high. And the water pouring off of it as it leaves breaks the surface of the water and goes to the sky and it's it's basically Krakoa except it's on the back of a space whale dang yeah and it's just it is yeah it's an island an island with tentacles yeah <laughs> it's just gorgeous um and it kidnaps um the daughter of Aquaman and Mera and leaves poor Jackson Hyde falling into the water um because of her sacrifice and that's how he gets captured by whoever these bad guys are I'm glad that you liked it. I didn't read it, and the like. The farther we get into Future State, the less likely I am to beat my way through one that I'm not super excited to read. But well said. Like I wasn't super excited to read Batman Superman, and then I found out it was Gene Yang, Gene Gene Luin Yang, and Gene Yang, yeah. I was like, all right, it's good. Like more of these are good than bad. Yeah, I'm glad Aquaman was good. Yeah, this week in particular, I wasn't going to read this either until I happened to pop it open and saw the art, mm-hmm. and that hooked me. They they chose a bad first like two weeks of Future State books. Yeah, like the the hit rate I think in week three and four has been much higher than weeks one and two for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you get, Romy? Um, well, I'm excited to see this Aquaman in action again. Um, I give it. I give it at least a nine point five. 
at least a 9.5. Yeah, there's not I mean, a I lot mean, of room to go higher. I mean, the <laughs> beach is where the gooey ducks are from, I, Jeffrey. Yeah, I, yes. mean, the, I mean, the artwork, just on the artwork alone, I give it a 10. Wow. The story, I guess, gets a, like a 9. That's a 9.5 wow. right there. Well, and the letters. Damn. No, I, I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention. You know, the way he draws whoever did the word balloons, that's pretty creative. Okay, so 9.5. That's that's amazing. Roman, I'll pick it up and read it because that, that's great to hear. You know, just like Django said, uh, the further we get into this, the issues can be double, triple sized at times. If I'm not super interested in the creative team or the character it's dealing with, I've been passing on it. Not too yeah. many. This is the first week, actually, that I've really, like, I passed on Suicide Squad and I passed on that one um, and, and Batman Superman. So, uh, I, but I did read a lot of other stuff. Um, so before Batman Superman, you guys want to talk about Superman versus Imperious Lex number one by Steve Russell and by Steve, Steve Russell. Russell. <laughs> I mean, Mark Russell and his buddy, Steve Pugh, <laughs> the combo, the Flintstone guys, you know, actually, before we get into this one, I, I would love to share a text that I got from Will Elmer today, friend of the show. Pots. Oh, wait. Well, no, Hots. Pots. So we just started talking a little bit about the, the future state books, but uh, he put it so well. I just wanted to uh, echo what he said. He said, I really enjoyed Imperious Lex, though it was a, clearly a thinly veiled MAGA commentary. It was still really enjoyable and highly accessible. And I, I thought that was well put because it is, like, as I was reading it, I was feeling like this is thinly veiled. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I think Mark Russell writes about contemporary issues often enough that, I don't feel like they need to be super hidden from what they're going for. But I also think that he oftentimes is metaphorically dealing with issues and he's not saying them as sort of on the nose as I feel like this one was. I felt like it was a pretty on the nose, mega Trump. Like it was almost a, I appreciated his forgiving stance. It was like, do we basically Lex Luthor has gone to a different planet because Superman kicked him off earth and he brainwashed a bunch of people to let him be an emperor. And now he's the emperor of this planet and Superman went embarrassed him. And now he wants to be a part of the United planet Alliance thing. I liked Mark Russell's stance of we should like the, this, the planet that has supported Lex Luthor has been lied to for years and brainwashed and we should not punish them because they've been brainwashed by somebody and it felt a little bit like listen all of us like left people we cannot burn down and punish everyone who's on the right i get i don't know like it at some point the people who watch fox news fox news and believe it like i don't know i don't know there's an amount of forgiveness there and i i appreciated that but i also understand there's a viewpoint where we don't need to forgive those people sorry that was my there's read what was your guys's read there's a lot of forgiveness there if you're Superman. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're the the pinnacle of alien humanity and the most forgiving and hopeful thing in all of the worlds. And I like that he was able to bring Superman to Earth and help convince everybody in, in that group that they should maybe give the people the benefit of the doubt whether they give lex the benefit of the doubt or not but in order to do that they have to let lex into this this organization i mean it's it's you're right it was a little bit heavy-handed but really can you could can you blame anybody for uh storming the capital if they actually think that it's full of pedophiles and and child rapists like if you've swallowed that 
then you're certainly in the right for doing all that shit. Yeah, I think that 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 line of like, you know, my, you know, your grandparents who watch Fox News and think that the lies that they're being told are true, so they vote for Trump versus the people storming the Capitol, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. a, there's a, they're both in the gray. Well, no, one's in the gray and one's in the wrong. Um, and not not trying to take a stance or anything, but I guess your point made it clear to me that I do think that, especially with like Second Coming, I think that Mark Russell is really working with a comparison of Superman and Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. and and i like that because i think that's where superman's coming from yeah. and you know Cop- captain america conversations or other comic conversations have rooted around this idea that like no if you're a nazi you should get punched in the face like, you shouldn't forgive they're bad like and i get that standpoint but i also really respect the like the christ standpoint that you should forgive people and you should try to help them rather than punish them mm-hmm not saying I'm falling on that side or, you know, what side I'm on, but I, I like this conversation that he's having because I don't think it's as, as black and white as just like burn these people. Like there's a lot of good people who are also naive. There's a lot of good, dumb people who, who were told a lie and they believed it because they trust people differently than I do. And I it's like- It's also not as black as black and white as that. Yeah. Right. Like there is room for Captain America and for Superman in, right. in our real world yeah and so i you know i i do think we need people like fighting against those people but i also growing up in churches really do respect the standpoint of trying to lead by example and nurture people and teach them instead of punishing them all of that is a moral lesson this is a strict comic book um not my favorite mark russell thing but it did do that thing last week we were talking about crimson flower and you guys gave it a 10 and i gave it like a 9 9.5 i don't know why and i said that it just didn't give me that like out of body existential kind of cathartic lost in my own moral thought thing that i love like aquaman did for roman exactly and while this one is not a 10 for me i did love that it caused me to sort of just like lose track of my vision and just get lost in a moral conversation with myself and that's that's pretty good i love that mark russell can still do that roman you got a you got a quarter smile on what are you packing yeah what did you think about lois lane's pantsuit and sneakers that was definitely something (laughs) i was fine because i always like seeing sneakers ever since i was a kid watching david letterman i always appreciate sneakers with a suit the man loves it (laughs) yep yep (laughs) i liked it yeah it was a good moral lesson i mean i was more i mean the moral lesson is good but I was more concerned with the little details. Like every time we see Lex, he's got, he's got flesh colored gloves and a flesh colored face mask on. Mm-hmm. And I was really curious, well, how, how scarred up is he and why? And I love the fact that they, Mark Russell brought back um, the planet Lexor. Cause on the silver, sometime in the silver age, Lex did have his own planet. Oh, he was the king of that planet and it was called Lexor. Awesome. <laughs> with a red sun. I don't I think it did I don't remember exactly but I think I mean, it probably did which is somewhere without a red sun yeah because really. you know of course he would do that because then Superman can't come there what is what is so hot about our sun is that it's a yellow sun is that why Superman likes it it's what gives Superman his power. right right, right. Yeah. but is it yellow yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah that's why yeah Jordan no, sent, sent him to our galaxy I just couldn't remember if it was yellow or red or orange I, I kept hearing red sun I was like well we but Roman I forgot that yeah. you're right thanks for illustrating like there is something going on with his face mask the whole time and I kept yeah. waiting for that resolution and it never came up. It's got to be in the next issue. But like, is he scarred or is he just old? So he thinks that he's ugly and then people won't like him. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it'll come up. It'll come up and I'm sure it's, I expect it'll be 
some vanity thing and it, like you know that nothing that would matter to most right. people yeah unless he's a straight up like alien and not lex luther but he sure acts like lex luther i love that the newscasters are basically they live newscasters and i wonder if we're not going to find out that superman's wrong by the end of the next issue because lex is clearly hiding who he is behind a mask so it's almost the question of is it is the salvation of millions of people or billions of people like he says worth is it worth saving those people and not punishing somebody or is it do you need to punish a bad person and therefore punish billions of people as a byproduct of it i just really like superman being used for that conversation i give this one an eight yeah me too it's, yeah he's just so good at what he does yeah yeah he is and I'll... lois had those tennies Roman, what do you got? <laughs> I'll also, I'll also give it a, an eight, and it's got all those little bits of humor. Like it still cracks me up when you see uh, Lexor with its hexagonal shield around it, and apparently a big sign that just floats in space saying "Plant unavailable until further notice." <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Batman and Superman from the future state. Where are we at with that, buddies? Oh, this is Gene Lewin Yang, who. I don't think I've read a thing that he wrote that I didn't like. And we've got a story about Batman finding out that in Gotham, there's a new drug that, that people can put on their necks and gain animal characteristics, like an animal mask for a little while. And the, that that's fucking with the magistrate a little bit because they hate masks. And so that's why people are using it, but it has the side effect of, growing aspects of that mask when somebody gets nervous or or upset so it's not just like a simple okay drug to use for a temporary mask so he he kind of tracks the the whole thing down to somewhere in metropolis and we get to see uh superman kind of join the join the thing it's the whole thing is kind of conversations about this designer drug and not a ton of like punch em ups at, until the end where, where somebody betrays Superman. But the art was really interesting. And it's, oh, I guess it's uh, Ben Oliver. And the, the story is just like real solid Gene Yang storytelling. Ben Oliver got like really huge with like a bunch of Nightwing variants. He, he was like a really big DC variant guy over the last two years. Okay. Um, cover. cover a, guy. A, a little bit Olivetti, but more organic. Yeah, like real pretty painterly stuff, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the guts of this comic are, are painterly too, which is wild. Yeah. Yeah. It, the only thing I didn't like about the art is it's kind of that thing I don't like about some modern comic artists where the backgrounds are pretty lacking or non-existent in some panels, but but I love his faces. I love the expressions, um, the way he draws people turning into turning in animals or having animal characteristics when they're nervous or something. That was nicely mm -hmm. done. I appreciate yeah. the fact it was regular Clark Kent Superman and regular Bruce Wayne Batman. Um, I think the magistrates mentioned, but they're not really a part of the story. Yeah. Which was a nice relief. Yeah. I see a magistrate reference at this point and I just like, I check out like 
I read Dark <laughs> Detective this week. I enjoyed it, but like anytime it comes back to that magistrate stuff or the arcing. Another thing that Will and I were talking about through text today was just that he's really enjoying the future state stuff that seems unrelated to any story, like any mm-hmm. Imperious Lex he liked or um, I forget which other ones he mentioned Small that he thing. dug. Yeah, but any of the ones that like, there are a number of them that just clearly stand alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't need to sort of buy into any idea getting into it. And I think if it's the whole the thing had, yeah, the Bat family are just really working with like, the, I, I think Tamaki's writing is awesome. I love Mora's art. And mm-hmm. I just think that the story that they're working with is I have no interest in it. Yeah. So I, I decided this week that I don't mind the magistrate stuff. Um, it took me a minute to get there. But I like those constraints that they're putting on those characters and kind of driving them underground and, and putting them in kind of an Ethan Hunt situation where they don't have the resources that they're used to. But they, like, that was the status quo at the end of the Tinian run. Like, that's not even the magistrate stuff. The Tinian thing, like, remember at the end of the Joker War, it was that Joker had stolen all of his money. So we predicted. Well, he was, he was broke, but he wasn't hunted. Yeah, I guess he was broke, but he wasn't hunted. But like the, the lack of resources and the kind of hiding, yeah. like all of this feels like the extension of what was happening. Yeah, and they even mentioned that in Dark Detective 2, I think. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I, I, I didn't love it at first. I don't love it now, but I like it enough to, to not be off-put by it. Nice. It's interesting to me that it's, it's also an extension directly from Detective Comics, because in that, Detective Comics is where what's his name the mayor of gotham in future state it's where he Mm -hmm. got elected and his one of his platforms was like being like hard on vigilantes and and Mm. being more militaristic are we in future state or are we in elseworld Mm. (laughs) i wish we were just in elseworld (laughs) Just, (laughs) just let this all be elseworld that's what you're trying to do uh would you say it's f state then I've, I've been saying for the since week one, it's almost borderline F state. It's like D minus F state. Yeah. <laughs> what do you guys give the score on that one? I would give this one uh, seven and a half. Okay. I concur. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll give it. A, I'll give it a seven. Okay. And Roman, did you want to like butt chug a Suicide Squad right right now? Like we don't have to do it as part of your Mary Marvel Minute. We can just put it right um, in here, but do a little briefer. Let's see if I can because I read that it feels I'll like I read it. this a week ago. Um, yeah, I ended up liking this one, which surprised me because I don't really care for the Suicide Squad. And basically what it is, it's it opens up with the Justice Squad, which are a bunch of pre-established characters doing the Thunderbolts thing, posing as the Justice League. But it's not the Justice League, like the guy in the bat suit. And this is, um, what's his name? Talon, who was like the head of the Talons, like the, the most badass one. And this Aquaman is actually just some dude that's being controlled by the alien face hugger that was the origin behind the old Aquaman villain called the Fisherman. So it's these just these guys pretending to be the Justice League and Sinestro and various villains are trying to rise up against them. And the Connor Kent Superboy is in this as Superman for this Justice Squad. And they're all being controlled. It's the same setup. Amanda Waller is controlling them. She's got explosive devices in each of their heads. And she's up to no good. And she's got secret plans in the works. And 
and Black Manta dies in it, Aqualad's father. And at the very end, the actual Suicide Squad shows up, um, led by Peacemaker. And there's going to be a big old conflict. And then there's a second story with Black Adam, which is actually Jeff set in the Justice League 1 million Grant Morrison Ooh. realms. <laughs> Morrison reference. Yeah, and that I didn't realize that was going to happen. And it's really cool. I mean, it opens up with a shot of mogo except he's got a big jla in the center of his ring band around his planet itself because it's he's now the headquarters of the justice league oh that's the a justice cool... league one million or whatever they're called the justice legion instead of just being a green Lantern, that's cool well yeah. what did you what did you give this i know the next issue has a big peacemaker thing and we know john cena is gonna be peacemaker in an upcoming movie so yeah and i was really surprised with this issue i mean i would give it Boy, uh, God, the art on the on the Black Adam. God, beautiful. Yeah, he's going to give it a number that's going to make me have to read it. I'm I'm, I'm going to give it a nine. God I mean, damn it! God, it's pretty high the, up there. Django, Django, the the end of the Black Adam story. As a fan of uh, the Blue and Gold team from the Geefen, oh, I saw Geefen that. Run. The Geefen, yeah, yeah. You'll you'll like that. But yeah, this was a big surprise for me. I because yeah. I didn't think I would care. <laughs> and I'm curious to to read the next chapters of both these stories. Dang. Well, God damn it. <laughs> he got us. He got us. Um, well, that was our future state bit. We're still plowing through that. I do think that if you're, if you've been on the fence about it, if you rejected it, it's actually on the whole way better than it seemed like it was going to be from the outset. Then it ended up being on that first, like it's, it's the first week was rough, but there, I would say um, at least half of it has been mm -hmm. much better than I thought it was going to be. At least yeah. half of it has just been good. Yeah. Like real solid comicking. Yeah. Um, are we, we're four weeks into it, right? So we're halfway through future state. Yeah. Three or four. Yeah. 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 It was at least four. It was four or five. Um, before we go into the secret history of the DC universe, I'm going to talk by about X-Men by John Ridley as well. That would have been a yeah. great segue, Django. No, it's, Sorry. It's cool. no, that would I, have think, been good. I think we should do X-Men. I just thought we should get a little just, Marvel in here. Yeah, let's get rid of this DC knuckleball. No, Massage I don't have a... I don't have a ton to say. This is just X-Men 17. It's the Hickman story. I Since Ten of Swords came out, I got real indulgent with that on the podcast. I'm trying to be a little bit lighter. But I am still reading the X-Men books, and Hickman is writing it. And, oh, gosh. Um, I really like that, for whatever reason, in this issue... Roman, did you read this? I did. I thought it was really cool that uh, Cyclops and Jean were wearing their X-Factor costumes, you know? Yeah. Uh, that surprised me, yeah, because... We're going to be the X-Men in bed, but in our X-Men X-Factor costumes. Will Elmer about a year ago was asking like, why is Jean wearing the Marvel girl costume sometimes and not other times or what the colors are, the colors had changed. And I think what they're trying to do is kind of just embody that. Like these characters are all just, they're just wearing different outfits now. Like sometimes, sometimes Jean and Cyclops are going up to the moon to do a thing or she are empire and they're wearing their X-Factor costumes. And sometimes they're not. I'm liking this. I love Jonathan Hickman. The shine has worn off a little bit. I don't care about the Shi'ar Empire. This whole issue did you was at some point. No, I never did, but okay. I held off. I, I held the belief that if the Hickman guy wanted to tell a story in it and he believed in it, that I could become interested in it. And he's dabbled a couple times now, and it doesn't really interest me. In the Fantastic Four run, when he was doing like inhuman stuff and he had like the lightning brigade and the horses and the inhumans, he managed to make me care about a corner of the Marvel Universe I didn't care about beforehand. That's not happening as well with the Shi'ar stuff. However, I do, this whole issue is Cyclops and Jean 
and Storm doing a favor, they do it successfully, and it ends with that Empress being like, Storm, you have done me a huge favor. And at some point, if you ever, I owe you, if you ever need something, let me know, and it's yours on the spot. And that's a very Hickman, like the Fantastic Four. There were issues where just things were basically just meant to uh, cover the ground to be a mechanic for a later on thing. And at some point storm or the X-Men are going to need the Shi'ar empire to call in a favor. And this issue did that, that I love you, Jonathan Hickman. I would give this issue a 6.5. It did what I think it needs to do. I totally agree. Um, yeah. 6.5. I mean, I really like Shi'ar empire and all that. And the Niromani people or the bloodline there professor x was involved with that girl's mother mm-hmm. um so that was cool but and it's yeah things will become important later and for me this issue the artist is brett booth isn't it mm-hmm. yeah and i think he's going to be the artist on the new x title coming up he is legends. yeah x-men legends yeah. yeah 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 and i realized reading this one i was like you know i remember brett booth from before and I just don't, and for me, I mean, it'll be great for some people because it's very 90s artist. And for me, I realized I was very conscious reading this issue that, boy, there's a lot of art from the 90s I have no nostalgia for. And this is a style I have no nostalgia (laughs) for. Take me to the secret history, my boys. Speaking of John Ridley, we've got the secret history of the DC, or the other history of the DC (laughs) universe, book two. Thank you. That's, That's the title. And I just said it wrong from black label um so it's an oversized magazine format and it is words and pictures it's not a comic book it's prose with big pictures and uh just like the first issue it's from the perspective of black characters in the dc universe um this one follows bumblebee and her boyfriend eventually husband mal who was, what's his name, Roman? Um, usually he just went by Mal, but for a while they called him Hornblower. For a while he's called Gabriel. Mostly he's called Mal. Hornblower is like the worst fucking name for a superhero. <laughs> yeah, I think that it was only for like two issues or something and somebody realized that. <laughs> I felt so bad for him when he turns into Hornblower and she makes him this stupid costume. <laughs> um, the first issue was all narrated by one person. Yeah. Right. And this one bounces between Mal and Bumblebee. And I thought that that was a, a, an interesting bit of texture. And you're never really sure what the context of them talking is, like whether it's an interview or them talking directly to you or if they're in the same room when they're giving you this story. Uh, but there's definitely a little bit of interaction between the two of them while, while this story is being told. Um, for me, it suffered from my abject apathy about the Teen Titans and also the Titans. And so I hope that you found <laughs> more enjoyment out of this than I did, Roman, because it, it did not super land for me. And even more apathy for the obscure 70s Titans <laughs> that yeah. very few people remember. Yeah, and it like there there were a couple of funny kind of meta comments about how the Teen Titans kept breaking up and reforming. Yeah. And every time they mentioned that the Teen Titans broke up and then reformed two months later, 
I thought of our seven boxes of Teen Titans back issues upstairs <laughs> with so many integrated titles that it's impossible to sort those motherfuckers. Yeah, there's like 35 volumes of yeah. Titans. And you put Titans after the Teen Titans series that clearly spun out of it, or do you do it alphabetically where you have Teen Titans, Teen Titans, Teen Titans, Teen Titans, 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 Titans? Yeah. Yeah. That's our that. burden. That's our burden as comic <laughs> shop people. <laughs> yeah and the same run would change titles like twice or something oh yeah tales of the teen titans tales of the new teen titans yeah it was all it's an was, disaster was, was new teen like i i guess my working understanding is when the new teen titans is just what it was was there a teen titans before new teen titans oh yeah they had their there was a teen titans book in the god i think it might have started 60s. in the 60s yeah yeah, oh yeah it must have started in 60s because they had villains like the mod rocker or whatever because like t- new teen titans was when nightwing got his costume and stuff right like the judas contract yeah. is new Teen. okay mm-hmm. i would have assumed that yeah. would be prime teen titans yeah nope. you would think so you'd teen think titans so before that oh wait teen okay. titans prime or okay. prime teen titans and how was it are you the letter p or the letter t here Jeff? i'm q babe <laughs> <laughs> oh you're q A lot of i've always know been that. q <laughs> Oh, you know, sorry. Yeah, I'm keeping that on the anonymous. <laughs> Never mind. Keeping Never mind. That underground. The Papcast <laughs> listeners have been, uh, they didn't realize they've been getting Q this whole time. <laughs> um, back to your question, Jay. Yeah, I, I really love this. I mean, not only because just the right, but he, John Ridley, he, um, he worked in all of Mal's history because I remember a lot of those comics. And yeah, he was kind of like the mascot for the titans he was always left behind and speedy was always making fun of him and he was going through all these identity issues and yeah the titans did break up every other issue and um and they were kind of treated mal like a they were jerks to him a lot of times so i'm glad he worked all of that into here into this big overarching storyline about mal's kind of just his identity issues um Mm -hmm. with being being black being a black man the only black man on this team that his girlfriend also ends up joining but she does much better as a superhero than he does well she's the first black female superhero and he's not the first black superhero because a he wasn't a superhero and b john stewart beat him to the punch yeah yeah like i like that kind of um seed for his insecurity there yeah i did too though and though it's funny i was reading that about bumblebee being the first black female superhero in dc comics or maybe in all comics except some people argue with that because they say no nubia was the first black female superhero in comics and Hmm. now she's back in future state Um, yeah i didn't know that she predated the teen titans yeah she did well she predated bumblebee for sure okay um bumblebee didn't happen until the six to the 70s so Um, i mean a lot of the stuff that they're touching on in here felt to me like it was probably and and i haven't read the teen titans but it felt to me like it was probably pretty progressive for comics at the time and but but looking at it from this perspective it's a little bit insulting yeah yeah i think at the time like they probably thought it was pretty progressive and, and maybe it was like putting mal in the old golden age guardian suit and basically you know kind of make him like a captain america type mm-hmm. it didn't last very long um but at the time and i and i liked mal's uh 
dialogue and mentioning real world stuff like the um oh where is his name like ted landsmark who's in that famous photo he's the black man being at that protest and he's being held back by a white guy while another white guy looks like he's going to try and impale him on the american flag yeah um flagpole which i had to look that up and it's interesting that that man ted landsmark he actually said well he was trying to swing the swing the pole around and hit me with it but the photo it looks like he's going to be impaled yeah um and i'd actually forgotten about that incident until seeing this page it's like oh wow yeah that's it feels to me like when Tanahasi Coates first started comics, they were super wordy and kind of, kind of hard to get through. And after a few issues, he kind of figured out a, a rhythm that was a little bit more comic booky and a little more familiar to us. Yeah. Um, and this this one, I would love to see this as a comic book rather than words and, and prose. I I think I would give it a seven and a half. And I'm docking it at least half a point for having confusing reading order. Um, and I'm, I'm boosting it a little bit because I love the idea of Metropolis having neighborhoods that we've never heard about. Like like Metropolis has shitty neighborhoods yeah, that we don't hear about. That's awesome. It. Yeah, that's I, a really cool idea. Roman, what's your score? Yeah, that really fits in too with the, just the idea of those kind of places are ignored, places like Hell's Corner. Mm-hmm. Um, my score is actually a 10. Wow. Jeez. No I, problem I, reading it for Roman. Yeah, I I love this. And I that's an interesting comment to see if to see this as a comic, because I don't th- he couldn't do this as a comic. I agree with um, Roman. I've only read the first one, but I really liked the presentation. Hmm. Yeah, and I really like him working in the real history. I mean, something I'd actually forgotten about um, that he spends two pages on working in here's in 1979 the atlanta child murders this comic magazine whatever you want to call it is making me think of those things yeah Yeah. love comics love that one's a 10 for you i i really like number one i'm excited to read number two um just need that that hour right for me to be not watching music documentaries to and the the fact (laughs) he's doing with somebody like mal instead of like a more obvious like john stewart or, Mm -hmm. or you know I'm just going to really briefly talk about the eighth immortal issue number one by source point press. This is one of the sort of hot spec books this week. We didn't have a ton of them come in. It's a really interesting art style. It's like the coloring is really sparse. It's kind of a black and white, really manga look. It's written by Jacob Murray art by Alice LeBarnes. Um, Roman, you read this? Which one is it? Uh, the eighth immortal. Oh yeah, I did. did. Yes. Um, and it, uh, it was interesting. I, I did kind of like the art because it was a weird blend of Western uh, styles and manga styles, but it was also like a hyper-sexualized sort of um, Highlander story. Basically, there's ex-immortals and there can only be so many. And uh, this woman, there's just like a, a this woman and her boyfriend are immortals. And it seems like they're kind of defending their stance of immortals by brainwashing other people who seem like they might be immortals to not be immortals and there's a several page sequence of like her trapping a girl who's getting her first period in a bathroom stall and like hands her a tampon and steals her life from her and i just appreciated that there was as much talk about periods in this comic as uh, i have never never seen that much outside of man eaters um, oh i got a short box for you oh nice i love that short box um yeah it was interesting i'm so kind of blown away by what 
is a speculator book and what is not maybe this is getting turned into a movie or something but uh um it's weird it's like kind of uh you know it's like that how to learn to draw manga art in a book but it's there's a really interesting coloring stuff going on the whole time um kind of like mostly black and white but then like tones of like teals and pinks and just an, yeah almost like black magic yeah, it reminded me of Black Magic and the Nomen Omen. If you remember from Image Comics, it mm. seems like both of those things kind of mixed together. Will you say uh, that again, real slow? Nomen no, Omen, no. Roman's Omen. Roman, what did you think about it? I didn't, I didn't love it, but I did. I thought that it was a higher caliber book than we generally see from things like Source Point Press, which is sort of like a, a seems like a farming ground for for talent. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised. I was surprised with it too. It is there's a lot more going on there than you would guess. Because at a glance, it looks like you know one of those small press books um, that's not going to do very well. So I'd I'd give it like a seven. It's interesting. There's just all these Marvel and Image and Boom and DC books, and there's just a whole world of comics that people could be checking out that are these you know unproven publishers and unproven creators and. Um, you know, 25% of the time, they always surprise me. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I'd give it an eight. And there's, you know, there's nudity in it, but it's never... A lot. Yeah, but it's, but a lot of the times it's just because, oh, the main character is covered in blood and needs to take a shower, and, but it's not presented sexualized. It's just like, oh, here's somebody like taking a shower. Showtime, mm-hmm. <laughs> not HBO. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and you could get this book from us for four dollars, or you could pay five dollars plus five dollars shipping on eBay if you want. If that's your kind of thing, it's I mean, in that realm of speculator book where it's just over cover price plus shipping. Oh my god, I just changed my zoom screen, so instead of having two or one person on top and then one or two people below it, it's just the three of us all next to each other. It's very bizarre. It just changed drastically how I view this screen. Did you just say blow it? I maybe did. I mean, listen to a lot of Nirvana. They oh, had yeah. the whole EP. I don't like that option. Blue? No, the three. three did you know that the first Nirvana album that Roman got into was the Blue EP? That was the first time I ever heard him. Yeah. Isn't that pretty rad? I don't know enough about Nirvana. It's pretty cool that like the Blue EP is is not it's not a lot of people's first interest in, in, in intro into Nirvana. Hmm. No, that was the First I heard of, and then this, I think the first full album was, was it called Sliver? No, was that, that was a, that was a B-side EP as well. So Roman's just really into B-sides and singles and EPs. He sure is. So listen, we're going to get out of here on a very self-indulgent note that I'm going to talk to Roman and Django about. And if you're inter- interested in comics, tune out now. Um, and then if you're not, <laughs> you can listen to the next couple of minutes about Bellingham music lore. But before we get into that, I just want to say, if you want to send an email to the comic shop, um, you can do that. But why would you do that? You can send it to the the podcast and that's more interesting. And you can do that at Jeff at the comicsplace.com and just do a subject line, say papcast or whatever you want. Um, Did nobody answer my question from last week? Yeah, nobody, nobody answered. I tried to tell Lazy you, motherfuckers. I tried to tell you, you were doing fun questions and then you aimed too high. You know, this weird, like, and I could tell you like a third of the way through your question, there's a moment where I drop out. Cause it's like, Oh, I have to, I have to think about too many things. So here's Jeff, what I want look to know. At me. I'm the questioner now. Oh, okay. Um, so, so Roman, um, I asked you this. So that was Papcast 212 Bellingham music stuff. Now, um, oh. 
So I asked Roman a question this morning. I was watching that hype documentary I mentioned earlier about the Pacific Northwest music scene. And yesterday or today, I sent Roman a text with a couple of pictures from the documentary. And he sent me some answers that prevented me from actually understanding exactly where it was. This documentary, Django, has a shot of, on the outside, a bar. And it's called the Bellingham Bay Brewing Company. Do you recognize that okay. sign? I don't know what year. What year did you move here? I moved here about 20 years ago. That doesn't sound familiar to me. Okay. Well, Roman described it to me, but he described it to me in a couple locations and I couldn't picture it. So Roman, the Bellingham Bray, that, that, that place, you referred to it as the 3B. It sounded like a place you knew well. Oh, the 3B? Yeah. Did you know that, Django? Yeah, I just yeah, never that's... heard it called the Bellingham Bay Brewing. Okay. Well, I, I know nothing. I'm approaching this from a, a source of trying to find information, but Roman, right, you... But, but Jeff, you were, I mean, you've lived here long enough. I mean, the 3B was still open at that location on State Street. I've never heard the 3B ever said, ever. Oh, um, God. That's never a term I've heard. But it's... in looking at this, you said State Street, and then you said attached to Rudy's. Yeah, the, well, the Bellingham Bay Brewing Company was the original name of the tavern that's been at that same location for like 40, 50 years, something like that. And, and, and so I know all, nothing. But it was also colloquial, colloquially <laughs> often referred to as the 3B, the Bellingham Bay Brewing. Okay. Um, and eventually they just shortened the name officially to 3B. Okay. Which 3B was across tavern. from 3V Vinyl. Where was that? In Pelmini. So I'm trying to like visually find a place that I do you remember. I Googled Fairhaven Frames, which is what's next to it in this picture. And right. it showed me next to like 20th century bowling, which is on the other side of the street from Rudy's Pizza, which is much further down than Yeah, that's a couple Palmini's. That's that's yeah. not where the 3B was. Yeah, the that's 3B. Not so up and up, Rudy's, something. Up and up. 3B. Up and up. The factory. So the shakedown. The shakedown is where the factory and plan B used to be the 3b was next to the shakedown maybe even two doors down so where yeah. and I that and that's what roman said that's exactly now. what roman right. said which if it's right. next to the shakedown I, but two doors yeah. down okay. and i mentioned rudy's because at some point what was the 3b split in half and rudy's went into one half and the rest of it stayed the original bar Okay, so the so 3B... Now Carnal is where the 3B used to be. You got to call it the 3B because that's that's what everybody called it. Oh, and was that uh, the cool Bellingham music venue? Absolutely. Yeah. It was owned by the same guy that owns Cap Hansen's now. Okay. Yeah, yeah and it's... Uh, I guess the... I, I guess the... Yeah, it was in... There's the YMCA, an empty lot that became the bars outside seating and then the 3B slash Bellingham Bay Brewery, Brewing Company, which was in the same location for many decades. I just, uh, the beginning of this documentary, Hype, which I was talking to our friend Ryan Russell about in, in 1991, the year the punk broke, but starts out with just great Bellingham footage of like the mono men playing in, you know, in 1996 in this place. And I just, the Bellingham, I know, does not have uh, small music venues. It has a couple moderate-sized ones, and that's it. Yeah, the 3B is where... Are you putting all this on, on the podcast? I don't know. I told people to leave. If this is 20 minutes long because we're talking about Bellingham music <laughs> history, I'm, I'm okay to leave that in at the end. 
it was it was wild. I mean, Be- Bellingham used to be even more of a music town than it is now. It's not a music town now. Even 15, 10 or 15 years ago, it was a huge music town. Yeah. And the 3D closing was a big part of it slowing down. Yeah. Unfortunately. It, yeah, it definitely used to be. I mean, bands, you know, bands like the Mono Men. It's funny, the last, I can't remember. I know I saw bands at the 3D, but the only one I remember, and I hope I'm not confusing this without the shakedown, but was actually one of Brent Cole's bands, the Star Spangled Bastards. And I saw them play there. <laughs> and I saw bands at Speedio Tubs, which was the club in Fairhaven. It was it was underground. It was in the basement of- Under the Three Hens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's and, still, uh, I, th- I think there's still Nirvana signatures down there in, in the green room. Mm, wow, that's cool. Uh, and yeah, they played I there, go there before then. I moved to town. <laughs> I just want this pandemic to end and I want us to start some fucking rock. I hope that the pandemic effect is that people get so sore from missing music. They're like, fuck all this electronic dumb bullshit. Let's fucking have some <laughs> rock shows anyway. All right, cool. Well, it's two twelve. That was the end of it. That was self-indulgent. I just need to talk to these Bellingham legends about the Bellingham music history scene. We'll see you all next week. And who knows what if this made it into a podcast? I don't know. I just needed to talk about it. Yeah. Let's throw it in there. People like it. And- we talk about our personal non-comic stuff. You're right. Okay, cool. In that case, I'm Jeff. Roman, who are you? I'm I'm Roman. Nice. I'm Django. Django, anything on your mind? Yeah, I've been thinking. <laughs> I've been thinking. And I was thinking about trademarks and shit, but then I just realized like <laughs> which superhero has the coolest farts. <laughs> if you want to talk about which superhero has the coolest farts, hit us up because I bet it's fucking dope. See you next week and bye.